Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. another episode of Tendy Talk. I am your host Joe, better known as Washed Up Goalie on social media. This week I talked to former University of Alaska Fairbanks goaltender and current USA Hockey ADM manager of goaltender Steve Thompson. But before I talk to Steve, let's take a short break. Hey everybody, Joe here for Anchor, the podcast provider. Here's all you really need to know. One, it's free, and two, Tendy Talk uses it. Anchor has features for your podcast like voicemail and listener support that's all available free through the Anchor app or through anchor.fm. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your episodes easily from your phone or computer, then Anchor does the hard work of distributing your episode through all the major podcast distributors, that is, after you've registered with them, of course. You can also make money for your podcast. I know I will try and do so, so that I can cover simple costs like website hosting. There is no minimum listenership required for you to start earning, so you can start right away. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now, back to the show. Steve, thanks for joining me. It's great to have you on. you know, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, we're making the most of uh, the situation we're in, trying to kind of shift all of our teaching to Zoom, and we just finished up our World Junior Camp, so um, we're, that's going to be held in a bubble similar to the NHL in December, so. Yeah, I saw that. Hockey's still going to be played, and we're still trying to kind of do our job, and it just looks a little different than it used to. Yeah, it's it's been uh, interesting, even in the beer leagues of, you know, what they're allowing us to do, you know, 
as simple as I, I had to kind of talk to the rink I play at because they're saying 15 minutes before, that's all you're allowed in the locker room. And I said, I'm an old goalie. And even if I get to the rink two hours beforehand, I'm going to be sitting alone in the uh, locker room. I need more time to get ready. And they went, okay, that makes sense. So they're, they're letting the goalies in, but uh, even post game, there's, there's no handshakes. It's just kind of like a wave from the other end of the ice, but we're, we're making it work. Yeah. 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 So normal. Yeah. It's, it's been fun. It's just so nice to be back on the ice. So I, I, I talked to Justin Goldman about it and uh, I, I think a lot of us didn't realize how much we needed it to get back on the ice. Yeah. I haven't been on the ice since March 11th. So, Oh boy. <laughs> look forward to that day. I, uh, yeah. Just even like the smell of a rink. I haven't been in a rink since then either. So I, I love that you say that cause the uh, first time I went back to the rink, once I walked through those doors, it was just that deep breath to smell in that rink air where I think most people unfamiliar with hockey would think, oh, it's a nasty smell, but that crisp, clean smell of the ice, there's nothing like it. Yeah. 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 So one of the goals of this podcast is to get to know goalies of all skill levels and ages you know, and just kind of their story into hockey, but also what makes them tick away from the, the rink. So somebody like yourself, you're originally from Alaska. How did you get into hockey, um, you know, in, in the land of the midnight sun? Yeah, yeah. So it was um, probably, you know, probably similar to some, but not many. And that my family didn't have a hockey background. My, my parents were both athletes, but never played hockey. They grew up in Cleveland, Ohio but my dad was in the Air Force. And so he got stationed up at Elmendorf Air Force Base in Anchorage. And um, when I was about eight years old, he got free tickets at work to an Alaska Aces game, or I guess <laughs> Anchorage Aces at the time. And so, um, you know, some of the neighbor kids liked hockey. And I, I kind of my first few memories of hockey were playing boot hockey, you know, on tennis courts on base. And um, I used to have this little, you know, radio, you pull the antenna out and we put it in the middle of the cul-de-sac and listen to like Aces hockey games and Aces playoff games. And I don't think I'd ever been to a game yet, but I just kind of by the neighbor boys that were older, they loved hockey. So you kind of looked up to them and wanted to be like them. And, um, that was kind of how it started. And I just remember going to that very first game and there were the cheap seats in the top of the Sullivan arena, which, you know, aren't nosebleeds by any means, but I was afraid of heights. And I remember kind of crawling on my hands and knees to the top of the 6,000 foot arena. And um, once I kind of got grounded and felt comfortable in the chair, I, I just couldn't keep my eyes off the goalie. His, his name was Brian Renfrew, who's, you know, been very heavily involved in hockey coaching at Michigan state and now a scout for Winnipeg Jets. Um, but he was the king, you know, he had the cool gear and he had a great yeah. team and he was the reason they won the game. And, um, you know, I just wanted to be a goalie from pretty much the, the moment I stepped into a rink. Well, that answers the next question is, you know, why, why goaltender? Because in your role as uh, head of goaltending for the ADA or the ADM program, you know, we're trying to get more goaltenders. So what, what was it that draw you to the gear, to the uh, tools of ignorance as some might say? Yeah. I mean, I think again, um, Thankfully, Brian played well that night. He was the reason they won. And, um, you know, so I kind of got the feet off the energy of every time he made a save and the crowd went wild. And every time that, you know, you thought the puck was going to go in and he'd make some wild save and kind of that gasp of silence before they went wild. And um, just the, the control of that. And then I would guess probably another big reason was, you know, I didn't start skating or playing hockey at all until I was nine. And most kids had played for quite a while. So, 
uh, goalie was a position I could kind of excel at a little sooner without needing to have the fundamental skates, you know, skating that everybody else had. So I was, you know, pretty unorthodox and Dominic Hossack was my favorite goal in the NHL. So I made a lot of crazy looking saves and, and probably didn't rely on skating too much at the start of the position, more just competitiveness. So absolutely. Uh, goaltending kind of led itself to me. Yeah. And Hasek was definitely one of my, my favorites uh, growing up. In fact, I'm from Chicago, so he started there. And it, it's crazy to think that they traded him away for next to nothing. But you look back at it, and they had uh, Eddie Belfour at that time, who was winning Vezina trophies and Rookie of the Year. And you go, well, even at the even hindsight, it makes sense to trade Hashik, but maybe get get a little bit more for him. <laughs> yeah, I remember there's that one playoff series. I don't know, it was 91, 92, somewhere in there where. Uh, Haas got put in halfway through, I think, against the Penguins, and he just yep. made all these like, rollover saves the backhand of his glove, and he was just, you know, such a weird-looking goalie to the world at that time, but you could kind of see at that moment that he was going to be something special. Yeah, it, it's fun to think about his impact on the position, too, because to us at the time, it felt like what he was doing made no sense, but as time's gone on, so much of what he did make sense, and, you know, his, his thing was, well, if they're in that close, the puck can only get so high. So cover as much of the bottom. And uh, it's fun to think back and watch some of those old highlights with that hindsight of, well, yeah, it makes sense why he's doing that versus what is going on? What did I just see? That's crazy. Um, So you're influenced by some of the same goaltenders I was. Very common – reason for getting into goaltending walk us a little bit through your goaltending uh, journey we can say because I, I know you wound up at uh, Fairbanks you, you stayed up in Alaska uh, you know walk us through there and kind of why you wound up getting into coaching yeah so um, yeah I kind of started the traditional youth hockey route and um, you know I was fortunate that I think I just loved it I was an absolute hockey nerd and that's all I wanted to do and um, my parents were you know kind of saw that in both myself and one of my younger brothers. And so they bought a house that was right across the street from elementary school that had an outdoor rink. And we lived on that rink. I mean, we played hockey every single day after school and our house was the house that all the teammates would stay at. So we could just play shinny until dinner. And, um, you know, I just remember we'd have so many kids over the house and not enough dishes. And so we'd be eating, you know, cereal out of pots and pans and basically anything that could hold the food. And um, it was just a fun kind of environment to grow up in. We put, mattresses along the wall and play full contact knee hockey and you have holes in all your you know slit slide pants and everything else yep. and taping couch cushions to your knees so you wouldn't rip your holes in your knees and you could always tell the hockey players by the uh number of holes in, you, in your pants didn't matter what kind of pants you always had to have hole of some sort in there because of knee hockey yeah yeah, yeah. so i mean it was just an absolute passion and, and i think that's kind of what allowed me to excel and um, had the opportunity to kind of play up my entire career. I was always playing with the older birth years. And when I turned 17 or 16, I think it was 16, all of those, you know, 87, 86 birth years that I've been playing with went off to play junior. And I, I kind of was trying to figure out what I was going to do, if I was going to stay with my 88 birth year in Anchorage or if I was going to move on. And um, I went to Cedar Rapid tryout in the USHL. And um, Chris Corey was a scout for that program and, coached the Bell Tire team in Michigan and was like, you know, you can play, you know, in junior and be a backup and not see any minutes, or you can come play for me in Michigan, you know, the hockey level still and get a lot of time and development. So 
Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that he talked me into that because knowing now what I know about developing by playing and not just being in a high league and watching, um, what a good decision that was. And, you know, so I left at 16 to go play for Bell Tire and, and then um, went to Vernon in the British Columbia League after that. And then uh, Sioux City, Iowa in the USHL for a couple of years before heading up to Alaska again and to play in the CCHA. And, um, you know, I had offers to play at Anchorage as well, which was home. And I think Fairbanks just kind of felt like it wasn't going to be, you know, in my backyard where mom and dad were still going to be parents, but yet it was still close enough to home that you had that pride to, to be an Alaskan and represent your state when you went and traveled. So yep. it was a good mix. It was about a 45 minute flight or a, you know, a six to eight hour drive, depending on the winter. Yeah. Now you mentioned something that really rung true to me is you had the option to go play for Bell Tire and play versus be a backup at a higher level. And I, I think that's a tough, pill for a lot of goaltenders to swallow of it feels like we might be playing at a lower level but we're developing so that when we do move up I I know for myself personally in high school as a junior I was put on the JV team and I I took it pretty hard and the the coach told me he said look you've got a senior ahead of you if we take you on the varsity team you're just going to sit there but if we put you on the JV team you're going to play the bulk of the minutes so that when you transition to the varsity team next year, you're good to go. You're used to playing the blind chair. And, you know, as a teenager, that, that was tough to uh, take. And I look back at it now and that was absolutely the right move for me. It was the best thing for me. I, I had fun. I was that team leader, but I developed and I wasn't just sitting on the bench. That's hard, but like you said, that cool fact the kids, you know, everybody wants to be on the cool team and yeah, you know, you know it, it's just, it's such a tough decision, but in hindsight, it really makes sense. And that, you know, you see some kids that make the right decisions and um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Isaiah Seville, but he's a pretty successful goalie that we've had out of Anchorage. And, you know, he's one that I think is a real good blueprint for making that he, you know, played double A hockey most of his youth hockey career, because again, he knew he wasn't in a rush to play triple A. Um, he had the chance to play in Madison in the USHL, but elected to play in Minnesota in the North American League for a year prior. Mm-hmm. And again, not a decision that most kids make when they have the option of either or. Yep. Um, and then it lent himself to him then going to Tri-City and having a fantastic year in the USHL as a starter. And then led to him going to you know Omaha and representing our world junior team. But I, I really think that you know he would have been drafted by the Knights or had nearly the amount of success that he's had thus far in his career. If he would have raced to the wrong finish line and just immediately went to the USHL, sat on the bench for a season. And then who knows, you know, how stunted his development would have been. Yeah, absolutely. Now we've been talking a lot about development uh, and that's because as I alluded to earlier, uh, you're the head of goaltending for USA hockey's uh, ADM program. How did you get started with USA hockey in the first place? I got fortunate. My first coaching job was with the University of Alaska Anchorage and Kevin Ryder is an alum of that program. He was a goalie that played there. And at that point in time was the goaltending coach for the MTDP team. And so, you know, he was a big help in kind of getting me involved right off the bat. He was looking after his own and um, started inviting me to some Pacific district select camps and then some national select camps out in New York. And that's kind of where I got to meet the crew and, and kind of, you know, at that point in time, I was so young, I was just kind of watching and listening and learning. I wasn't probably providing too much 
Um, but that's, that's really how it started. And so my first handful of years of the USA hockey were just purely on the selects evaluation side at mm-hmm. you know, the Alaska state level, then to the Pacific district level and on to the national level. Um, and then I got a really unique opportunity to work for Mike Buckley, who is the Pittsburgh Penguins goaltending coach. And at that point in time was, uh, their development coach and Phil O'Sare, who had the first ever goaltending ADM job. One of his roles when he first got the job was to travel around the country and just kind of reach out to goalie coaches and see what curriculum makes the most sense as the American development model for goaltending. Yeah. And a lot of what he learned from Mike, he was like, this is great. This is what we need to be teaching every American goalie, not just, you know, the ones that live in the Northeast near Mike. And Mike was really busy, you know, with the Penguins. And, and, and it actually while I was with him is when he transitioned to the full-time position as the head guy. And so I became kind of his spokesperson for USA hockey and, you know, I knew his stuff, you know, not quite as well as he did, but certainly more than people that didn't know him at all. And so I would go to different events and speak on behalf of USA Hockey about Mike's systems and what he did and why he did it. And I, and I think that was kind of another springboard into the coaching education and the player development side um, that, you know, was a, was a huge open door. And, and then from there, had the opportunity to be the goaltending coach for our women's national team. And so that kind of helped you know, I had the opportunity with player development, with the coaching education, and then with our, you know, national teams on some of the higher end coaching stuff. Uh, and I, I think kind of just that hodgepodge of involvement to help me get this position. Somewhere through that, this fantastic um, initiative, the 51 and 30 came out. Uh, before we delve into the 51 and 30, where did that kind of light bulb come from? Uh, and then, from there, you know, there had to be buy-in from USA Hockey. So where, where did that come from, and how hard was it to get USA Hockey to buy into it? So, you know, Ron DeGregario, sorry, I always butcher his last name, <laughs> as we all call him. Uh, he's the former USA Hockey president and current chairman of the board. But, you know, most importantly to us with Goalie Nation is he was a former goalie that yep. represented us back in, you know, the 60s and as a player and, you know, now has represented us in many different facets throughout. But he's been kind of the, the godfather of goaltending for us. So he and Phyllis Aragon, who had had my job previously, were trying to think of metrics on how we can improve American goaltending. And, you know, they felt very strongly that the best representation of how well we're doing as a country would be to have the lion's share of minutes in the world's best leagues. Mm-hmm. And so it immediately became, you know, you know, by the year 2030, can we have the Amer- more Americans, you know, playing the minutes in the NHL? If, if we can have the lion's share, which is above 50% of minutes played by Americans, then we really think we'll be the best goaltending development country in the world and you know as you know through seeing some of the stuff we do it it starts at the grassroots level so our initiative certainly isn't all about just high performance hockey but again that's the bar that we're going to measure ourselves against yeah now one thing that um because you invited me to the bronze coaching um seminar which first of all it was fantastic and even though it was on zoom it was Phenomenal. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me, though, is you said, you know, not only do we want to develop goaltenders, but we want to create goaltenders for life so that when they get to, you know, men's league hockey, um, you know, there's plenty of them out there. That causes a little concern for me because it's very easy for me to find a team and then not ha- and then they're happy to have a goaltender so I don't have to pay. So what you're 
working toward, I think, is going to create so there's enough goaltenders where teams are going to look at us and say, uh, where, where's your, your uh, part of the money here? <laughs> you got to pay team fees too, but uh, that, that's a good thing, and I like it. Um, but again, that, that um, seminar was fantastic. You guys did a great job. Um, but when I looked back at it and reflected, you know, the bones of the program are really simple. You guys have the try, the develop, and the master stages. It's such a simple breakdown. Uh, but can you explain what, you know, briefly what those three stages are for folks so they get a better understanding? Yeah, so, I mean, we feel very strong that this is going to be like a pyramid where we have to have a yeah. very strong base if we're ever going to reach that 51 and 30 goal. So our number one objective is to get more people the chance to try goalie. And I'm sure everyone that's listening in is familiar with the old, you know, stigmas about goaltending that you're going to be a weirdo and it's not yeah. fun and it's too expensive and it's stressful. Yeah. And, you know, there's just all these negatives that sometimes hover around goaltending and, you know, our first job is just to shed light on all the positives and, you know, and, and then help break down some of the barriers that are true. I mean, goalie gear isn't cheap. We know that to be true. There is pressure and stress that's involved in the game and specifically the position. So we're, we're really trying to work hard at creating a new environment that eliminates some of those current barriers and then also shed light on all the things that we love so much about the position. And again, everyone that's involved in goaltending is obsessed with it. You know, it's all or out, you know, it's in or out, yep. all or nothing. And uh, you know, we just want to have more positive light shed around it. But more importantly, we just want more kids to try it to get the bug. And yeah. so, you know, kind of one of the things we talk about is, you know, catch your puck and you catch the bug. I mean, if you get that glove save in, most kids want to come back. You just got to make sure that the first time they try it, they get that. I love that you said that because I had that highlighted to bring that up. And, you know, I think even for those kids that try it out, but don't catch the bug, what it does give them is that appreciation for the position that at least when we were coming up, they didn't have. <laughs> they just thought, you know, we were the kid that couldn't skate, not realizing we were probably one of the best skaters on the team or all you do is stand there and it's not that hard. And I remember a couple of times in high school where, you know, we'd go out for rat hockey and teammates would put my equipment on and they're like, that was a lot harder than I thought it was. Like, how do you move in that stuff? And, you know, so even those kids that don't catch the bug, I think it gives them a greater appreciation for the position at a younger age too. Um, so that that's good. Um, one of the other things that stuck out to me, and uh, really when we had those breakout sessions too, it was reinforced is at that early try stage, it's not that USA Hockey is trying to have a goalie factory where every goalie looks the same. It's the at the different levels, especially the early ones, you're just trying to teach them, okay, this is the extreme basics of the position. This is how you hold your stick. This is why you want your glove up. This is how you, you know, do a T push or a shuffle. You're not teaching them every goalie needs to look like this. Cause I know, you know, when I was uh, coming up, the Quebec butterfly was the big thing. And if you didn't look and play like Patrick Waugh, something was wrong with you. Whereas, what I really took away from that session was no, let's let them develop their own style and we'll work with refining that at, you know, the later stages of like the develop and the master, but the try stages, let's just get them there. Let's get them hooked and we'll go from there. And that I appreciated a lot. Um, the other thing I really liked is in that later end of the develop stage and the master stages, 
you want these goaltenders to go back to the lower ranks and be mentors for the, for the younger kids. And that really stuck to me because I was uh, talking to David Hutchinson of uh, Engel Mag last week, and he's an educator uh, by, by trade. And, you know, his saying was in order to learn, you have to know, or yeah, it was in order to learn, you have to be able to teach it. So I, I think at that stage, getting these teenage goaltenders to teach some of this to the younger kids makes them more coachable as well. Yeah. I mean, there's so many benefits that go into it, but like every coach that attends those clinics, it's the moment we put our coaching hat on is the moment we have that light bulb moment. We go, gosh, if I only knew that when I played, how much better I would have been, you know, and we just want our athletes to have that opportunity while they're still playing and not they're, you know, only wearing a tracksuit on the ice. And so, yeah, I, I love that you said that because there, there's so many times I look at what I know now as a goaltender and it's like, God, if I would have known that in high school or junior high, how would my, you know, playing path have altered? Would I have been that career backup on a division three JV team or would I maybe have been a starter? Who knows? Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because I still love the position and I still play the game. <laughs> so that that's all that matters at the end of the day. Um, I, I think probably the, the biggest surprise that not just me, but anybody that takes that bronze course is that video out of Norway that you share um, and how they treat not just hockey, but youth sports in general and how they take it very seriously but the way they take it seriously is that the focus is on the fun, not the outcome, not the um, specialization. And to make sure that that happens, they, they have that bill of rights at the government level, not, not at the uh, national association level, but it's at the government level that this is how we do it because we want kids to have fun and to develop emotionally and mentally, you know, before they can specialize and, I, I wish more people would see that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's powerful every time you watch it and I've seen it probably 50 times at this point. And, you know, again, there's just so many kids that they're late developers. So they end up becoming the athlete of whichever sport they choose last because mm-hmm. you try hockey for the first time at eight. We have such a competitive environment at eight years old that they're not on the AAA travel team for the eight U. And now all of a sudden they think, well, you know, they don't have a growth mindset, neither do their parents. And they think, well, you're just not a hockey player. Let's try baseball next. Eventually they're going to be that developed athlete at 12, 14 years old when we actually want them to start specializing in hockey. But they've already removed themselves from the game because they weren't any good, which is expected at that age. And it's just, I truly hope that by the time I finish my career with USA Hockey, that that is the one thing that we have changed is the culture of how we treat young kids and that we no longer have 10-year-old goalies with tears running down their face because they lost the game for their team and they're the right. loser and they don't get to go to the sleepover. And again, these are parent environments that are created and it's completely in our control to change. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of if we're willing to and are we willing for, to handle the uncomfortability of change because it will be a huge change for this country, but it's yep. so necessary for the kids. And, and hopefully a change that other sports start to see the progress USA hockey is able to make because of it. And they adopt it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I I think this COVID stoppage of all play might actually be a good thing for youth sports because 
parents are learning, oh, my kid can actually take time off of a sport and then come back to it a couple months later and still be good, not play year round where they feel like they have to choose one sport or the other. Or if they do choose both sports, they have to play both of them year round. And now there's no money for a family vacation or time for a family vacation. So it, it might be a good thing. Um, you know, I, I think of my son, we live in Minnesota, whereas, you know, hockey is top of mind for everybody. And he loves the game. He loves to skate on the pond and he's had the opportunity to join a team and he looks at it and he says, you know, they skate six to eight times a week. He goes, that's too much for me. And I said, that that's pretty mature for him to say as a 12 year old, but at the same time, here's somebody that enjoys playing the game, but doesn't want to play organized hockey because they're, you know, specialized, specialized, specializing <laughs> at that point already where it's driven him away from the organized side of it. Um, you know, so I, I think what we're trying to do at a national level hopefully does trickle down to those association levels. Cause I, I know Minnesota hockey is very much on board with USA hockey's initiatives, but when you go to those individual associations, they want those banners hanging. And the, the best way to get those banners hanging is to get your kids out to, you know, all the summer programs, all the off-ice programs and everything else. And, you know, we don't need Coach Riley's. We need Coach Bombay's. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, USA Hockey – or be, before I get to this part, uh, are, is USA Hockey starting to see success with, you know, early successes with the uh, change in focus with goaltending? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard for us to tell for sure. So I guess one of the issues we have that we're currently working on is that kids don't specify a position when they register to play. Mm -hmm. So we, one of the other metrics we'd love to measure is does our success is how many kids think that they're a goalie when they register to play hockey. And if we see an increase in registrations of, you know, someone electing to play goalie, and I really hope that they can choose multiple because as you saw in the bronze clinic, our goal is yeah. for kids to play every position until they're 14 years old Yep. and then 14, then you dial it in, then you become goalie full time. So, you know, our hopes are in the next handful of years here, every kid up until 14 years old is checking, you know, forward and goalie on their registration box. So we have an idea of how many kids are staying in net because, you know, I, I think that's going to be our biggest bar of success outside of the high performance side is how many kids are playing in net how many kids do we retain each season? How many kids quit because the environment sucked that mm -hmm. the coach provided or that the parents provided in the minivan on the way home? And so um, in a lot of ways, I think we are going in the right direction. I mean, we've had more coaches attend these clinics that don't play in net, which is another one of our huge goals is that every coach in the United States that puts their tracksuit on helps their goalies out and doesn't just put their hands up and say, you know, where's the goalie guru at? I don't know yeah. what to do. I wasn't a goalie. And so, uh, we're seeing a lot of, you know, improvements in kind of the culture of everybody taking responsibility. And, and then again, you know, I think it's just going to take time for us because until the next, you know, generation of goalies goes through this new culture where their coaches are taking part of the process, they're not feeling as stressed and pressure because they're sharing that burden with multiple kids. Right. And they're becoming a more well-rounded athlete because they're playing other sports and playing other positions within the game longer. I think that's really where we're going to see the fruits of the labor. So, you know, 
I think really the year 2030 is going to be our biggest check mark is, is this program being followed and does it work? Well, and I, I appreciate that there's an emphasis on at the younger level, letting the goalie skate out as well, because that, that was one of the questions with the association my son would have played for was, okay, so there's two goalies on the team. Is there, if he's not playing that game, can he skate out? Because I'm a firm believer that that's the best way to learn the game is to play the game. Um, and it, I was told, no, that the association firmly believes you're a goalie and you make that decision that there's no skating out. But we listened to so many pro goalies and they all say, yeah, I was till I was about 13, 14. I was able to skate out if I wasn't playing goalie and how, how that helped them. And, um, I, I, I second guessed it. I said, really, they have two goalies. So you're just having one kid sit on the bench the whole game, which, and you know, dance and all that other stuff and not pay attention. And yep. And it's like, you'd rather that happen. Well, what, what if the kid gets hurt? That's why we brought both sets of equipment to the game, you know, <laughs> and especially now that Vaughn has the quick change equipment for the under ages, it, there, there's no excuse for it, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, our, our vision for this moving forward is at eight, you, Every, every goal is playing like a five minute shift and you're having like yep. six kids, eight kids, as many kids as you can get through the position. They play their five minute shift. And again, the, the, the new Gordie Howe hat trick is that they get a shutout, they get a goal and they get an assist all the same day that they went to that hockey rink. And what a cool you know experience that is and, and what a great way to learn the game. Um, and then moving into 10 U, we'd love to see, you know, again, you've got three or four or five goalies, maybe that are kids that still want to play goalie after that great eight U experience. So Maybe you've got two of them playing goal that day and the rest are playing out. But those two that are playing goal are switching at the halfway point of every period. So they're getting three mm-hmm. shifts each. They get a chance to play for a bit, go back to the bench and get some feedback, play for a bit, go back and get some feedback. More importantly, they're wearing that entire game by themselves. We don't want kids at that age to play the full game alone. Because again, if you lay up an egg, it's your fault. Nobody else shares the burden with you. You're the loser. You're not in the cool corner. You're not coming to the sleepover. And it's just too much pressure too soon. And again, you don't see that in other sports with other high pressure positions. And it's something that we just have continued to do because it's a thing we've always done. Right. And you know? the old saying, just because it's what we've always done doesn't make it right. Exactly. And so we want to see an increase in you know, time under tension, as you could call it. So 12 U, same concept. You've got multiple kids going through the net, but now maybe they're alternating at the halfway point of a game instead of the halfway point of the period. 14 U, now we're finally specializing and we're full-time goalies at this point. You know, you're still alternating, but you're just taking life a little bit more serious in this role because this is what you've identified as, you know, your future, hopefully, if you love the position. And, you know, you're kind of slowly but surely adding more responsibility because mentally you're prepared to do so and and so much of this is based around mental skills and a healthy mental environment yeah and i i think that mental part of it is something we're not just in hockey but as a society coming around to more i know in some of the breakout sessions i was in i gotta reach i can't reach my uh, post to know what the group i was in uh but we we talked about that on how you know, I, I think especially in that um, developed stage, the mental coaching of our goaltenders is very important to let them know it's okay. You're going to let goals in. 
it's okay. You need to shake it off because for so often that hasn't been the case. It's just, you need to keep us in there. You, you know, um, and I, I think again, is somebody that lives not too far from you, Justin Goldman and fellow Colorado felt goaltender is really pushing that initiative. And I know in the goalie community, it's really catching on. And uh, somebody like Robin Lehner has certainly helped that too. Of, you know, we, we need to focus on that mental side of the game, not just the, uh, technical stopping the puck side of it because that's just as important yeah we had a um a virtual women's national team goaltending camp this summer and again it was supposed to be in person and we had to cancel it due to everything going on and so we, we kind of gave all the athletes with the 10 best women in the country that were invited to this and we gave them a pre-camp survey on what they wanted to work on and or what they needed help with and basically every single athlete said mental skills they needed to learn how to be more mentally consistent. They wanted to learn how to build their confidence, all the mental skills that we know are so hard to attain. And then when we asked them what they wanted to do, they all said, you know, video, talks with NHL goalie coaches. It was all the physical stuff. And so that was kind of, a, you know, an eye-opening moment for us. It's something that I think we all are aware of, but until we saw it in print, it didn't really hit home, that even our athletes know that they need to work on their mental skills. Mm-hmm. But what they want is to watch video and and work on their physical skills. And so what we ended up doing is we scrapped all the video, all the NHL, you know, cool flashy stuff. And we brought in a sports psychologist and we put in that entire six week curriculum into building mental skills. And I think it was actually probably one of the best camps we've ever put on only because the ice wasn't there to distract us from really the, the foundation of what these higher right. level athletes need. Well, and at a time where the focus we all needed to focus on our, the mental well-being of ourselves because mm-hmm. things were so different. Um, that's awesome. And I, I'm sure as we return to play, we'll probably see that those athletes are better, better prepared and have, you know, some established success right off the bat because of that. Yeah. And something I would recommend to every, you know, high level athlete. This summer, we all recommend put your gear in the garage and equip playing hockey, give your hips a break, give your knees a break, let your body recover. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean your game needs to stop. Your development doesn't need to stop. So maybe it is putting more time into your, you know, mental skills, your off-ice strength and conditioning, your flexibility. I mean, there's so many things that you can do, your nutrition, your sleep habits, uh, and you can become a better goalie without putting your goalie gear on. Yeah. And I don't want people to feel afraid that if they do put their gear in the, the garage for a couple months, that it's going to really, you know, inhibit their development because most likely it's actually going to help them in multiple ways and it'll multiply their career in ways they never thought possible. Well, and so, so many pro goalies even say once the season's over for a couple of weeks, that's what they do. They, they don't touch the ice. Some of them don't even go to the gym. It's just reset. Get, you know, if you can, hit that mental reset button and just find that inner calm again. Um, in fact, <laughs> you were on the Between Two Post podcast, and I, I remember listening to it because we were up at my in-law's cabin for a week, and it was just that reset week. And I was listening to the podcast while uh, kayaking along the lake for an hour just by myself. And just that is was so much better than getting on the ice for me, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Is, is away from the rink, away from the ice. Wasn't Well, I shouldn't say I wasn't thinking about hockey because I was listening to a podcast on goaltending. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, that's so important for our kids. And, and you mentioned it earlier. I mean, just having a you know well-lived life. And again, that doesn't need to be in the rink every day to have 
a family vacation, to go to the lake, to go fishing yep. with your dad, to go hunting, to go do the things that families do that I think we're starting to lose sight of because there's always a summer tournament. There's always a summer camp. There's always yep. a private lesson. And, and again, are we hurting or helping not only our hockey players, but our families by not having a more diversified lifestyle? Right. Exactly. Um, so this is almost a perfect segue because I, I think one of the other um, things I want to do with this podcast is find more about other goaltenders. Uh, so I like to ask, you know, what do you do away from the rink to almost find that balance? You know, what, what are your outside of hockey interests? Yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately I'm, I didn't practice what I preach now. And so <laughs> I didn't get to do a whole lot of, uh, you know, those summer activities when I played, I was so dialed into hockey. That's all I ever thought about. And in a lot of ways, I wish that I would have, you know, taken a step back, but you know, as of the last about five years, I, I finally got to go moose hunting with my dad, which hunting is my dad's hockey. He every September was in the woods in the same spot for a month straight. And, um, you know, over the last five, six years now, I've been with him every single September and coaching and teaching has allowed me to do that. So um, that's become a new sanctuary. And again, something I wish that I would have done my entire life with my dad and my brothers, but, you know, September was always a busy hockey you know month. And, God forbid I ever missed a practice, let alone a couple in a row. Yeah. And, you know, so I, that's something now, you know, fishing is another thing. Hiking is huge. Skiing, um, pretty much everything outdoors, which is yeah. like, yeah, I mean, when I took the job, USA hockey basically said you can live anywhere in the country other than Alaska, but that's just too far removed and <laughs> expensive to fly around the world from there. So uh, it was a no brainer for me that Colorado was going to make sense because the hiking, the hunting, the skiing, the fishing, the outdoors, the sunlight. I mean, it just, yep. everything that you love that's, you know, about Alaska, Colorado has. So that's awesome. So one of the uh, ways I'm ending every podcast, is I have a series of rapid fire questions. Um, so the first one is what's the craziest coaching moment uh, that you've encountered, whether playing days or coaching days, I'm thinking kind of the Mike Keenan throwing the sticks or kicking the garbage, you know, the letter Kenny coach coming in, uh, kicking the garbage can type of moment. Yeah. So this one's not as much out of frustration, but it was absolutely wild. So this is the 2019 women's world championship and we're playing in Espo, Finland, and we get scored on in overtime. Mm -hmm. And for those that aren't familiar with women's national team, um, no nation outside of Canada or U.S. has ever won a world championship or Olympics, and mm -hmm. they really haven't even been in the championship game very often. It's almost always Canada versus U.S. So Finland upsets Canada in the semis, and now they're playing us in the final, and it is over capacity by probably 5,000 people. If this place caught on fire, we're all in trouble. <laughs> and they're chanting Suomi, which means, you know, Finland or whatever, and, yeah. and Finnish, and they're, it's a madhouse. They score they're going nuts. People are jumping over the glass, but their coach jumps on the ice and starts doing strict push-ups and he's kicking the ice and doing push-ups. And we're all like, what the heck? What a weird way to sell it. He gets up and he starts flexing and we're like, what on earth is going on? Well, then after that, they end up calling it no goal for goaltending interference. We end yeah. up winning the game in a shootout and you know, just a wildest experience where we're thinking we're, you know, things are getting thrown at us and just constant booing and everyone feels like we cheated them out of the world championship. And, you know, their coach just got finished up with his workout. After the game, so. 
I, I remember, remember watching that. Yes. Most intense, you know, moments of my coaching career thus far. Uh, that's awesome. I, like you said, I remember watching that and just how crazy it was that it's like, Oh my God, this is happening in a championship game where it's getting called back. Um, as an American, I wanted the Americans to win, but as a sports fan, you almost want the team that scored that goal to eventually win it. But no, I, I'm glad we won that one. <laughs> um, favorite goalie mask of all time? Uh, Curtis Joseph. I used to, he was kind of my favorite goalie after Dominic Kosick retired. Which one? Because he, he had a couple different ones. I loved the Toronto Maple Leafs blue, you know. Okay. Yeah, dog with the mouth and everything. I, I always thought that was the coolest helmet, and I ended up getting his same Bauer reactor, you know, sixes. Yeah, blue, black, and white, just based on that, and wanted that helmet pretty bad too. Yeah, that that was a great set. I, I grew up an Eddie Belfour fan, so for the longest time, I couldn't stand Curtis Joseph because mm-hmm. he was a Blackhawk killer. But as I've gotten older and removed myself from those days. I have a great appreciation for him, especially after reading his book and what he had to persevere through. It makes you like him even more. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, the fav- your most favorite rink that you've played at? Hmm. Well, I think nostalgia-wise, it'd be the Sullivan Arena um, in Anchorage, Alaska, just because, again, that was the first rink that I ever saw a hockey game at. And mm-hmm. I remember my first game in college playing against UAA and being in that rink and on the ice, I was like, holy smokes, I can't believe I'm actually playing on this rink that Came I watched circle. so many games on. Yeah, that was that was pretty remarkable. I, I would say that's probably, you know, got my heart. This is one that uh, everybody has had a different answer for. The stick that you've liked the most that you've used over your playing days. Um, I always used the Sherwood. I think it was 7,500. It was, and I'd like the black, you know, I don't even know what it was, some sort of like carb. I don't even know, but I got that every single time. And I just think you get the Tebow curve. Okay. Curve I would get. And I, I used that pretty much through my entire youth. Um, and use stick and you kind of got stuck with whatever you had to have. But, uh, that was the one that I chose the old Sherwoods. Yeah, I, I think they're still making those Sherwood wooden sticks uh, these days. In fact, my daughter wanted a hockey stick last year for Christmas, and I wasn't going to buy her a composite. She's just using it on the backyard rink, so I went out and bought her an old coffee curve feather light because they were still selling them for like 30 bucks. Awesome. <laughs> um, your favorite youth hockey memory? Favorite youth hockey memory? Um... I don't know if it was a favor, but it was hilarious. Um, we traveled to Whitehorse Yukon once, and it was my first time ever playing in front of fans. I was probably like 14 or 15 years old, and we drove this bus all the way to Yukon. It's probably like a 12-hour drive, and it was freezing cold middle of winter Alaska, and the bus stopped and you know froze and shut down, and it was just this crazy trip. But by the time we got to the rink, um, it's a sold-out crowd, and we're 14 years old, right? There's not a whole lot going on in Whitehorse, so when the youth hockey games are going on the whole town goes to them. And uh, it was the first time I'd one ever played in front of people, but two ever played full periods where you switch sides. And so after the first period, I, you know, rush out of the tunnel thinking I'm a pro, but I forgot you're supposed to switch creases. So I'm shuffling the other team's crease and I can hear all the fans like giving me crap. And all of a sudden I'm seeing people skate circles around me and kind of talking and I'm noticing it's the other team. And I had to like embarrassingly skate to the other side of the group and to my net. And I was like, Oh, Gosh, you idiot. That's great. 
what's the best chirp you've heard on the ice? Um, another kind of funny one is my first college game in Yost Arena, which is the Michigan rink. Yep. And, um, what another, probably one that would be up there is one of the best I ever played in and enjoyed the most, but it was my freshman year and I hadn't played a minute yet. And, uh, the, the fans are behind the bench and they're just giving it to us the entire time. And one of the fans was chirping that the referee had more ice time than I had and just kept giving me the gears about how I had never played a minute. And the, even this referee that had never played a game in his life had more ice time than me. So I'll never forget that one. The one thing I, I've learned from uh, asking a question is the best ones are just those ridiculous, like out of nowhere. It's not hurtful. It's not vulgar. It's just, you hear it and you're like, okay, that's funny. Even I have to laugh at it. Um, Last episode, again, David Hutchinson was talking about uh, his son's uh, at a goalie camp and their one coach was shooting on him and he said, you must be really good at dodgeball. (laughs) 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 It was like, all right, that's a good one for goalies. I'm going to have to remember that. Um, I I contemplated asking you this question or not because you're you're part of USA Hockey working with kids, but uh, I I know you still play in uh, the, the beer leagues, adult hockey. Uh, what's the worst post-game beer you've had? Oh, um, I don't know what. I just know it's warm. I know, we've had a few uh, a few days in there where somebody forgot to bring beer and someone's got just a cooler of beer that they left in their truck from a fishing trip a few days before. And yep. it's piss warm by the time you crack it open and you're sitting there trying to put it down, but you just, you're, you know, gagging every sip. So yeah. at, at least, any, any beer that's warm would be... I, I agree. At least you being in Colorado, there's a lot of good craft beer that they can bring to a game. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no shortage of microbreweries around here, that's for sure. Yep. When you tape your stick, is it heel to toe or toe to heel? Heel to toe every time. All right. Most goalies are. Um, had a few say toe to heel, but the only one that had a good reason for toe to heel is uh, Connor Beaupre, the hmm. uh, wild emergency backup. And he really likes to play the puck. And he felt that the puck comes off the blade better when it's toe to heel. I said, all right, I've never been good at playing the puck, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, neither, neither my problem. yeah. So, uh, your favorite number to wear? Number one. All right. The the old traditional goalie number. Yeah. Brian uh, Renfrews. That was, again, the reason I started. So I was going to be whatever number he was. There you go. Uh, and the last question, what advice do you have for young goaltenders? Patience. I think the more that I'm learning through, you know, the research we're doing is please don't rush this. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to develop if you play and you're probably going to play if you stay back a little bit longer than you want to. And, and again, um, that old saying that you're going to get better by being on the higher team, even if you're not playing just because the practices are going to be at a higher level, the statistics don't show that to be true. So play at whatever level you're actually going to play and, and actually thrive, not just survive. So mm-hmm. um, it'll come if you, if you wait. You know, I, I like that because I've had, you know, some nephews and uh, other players I know where, you know, they're on the bubble. And instead of making the A team, they make the B team or the C team instead of the B team. And every time I've told them, be happy you made the team you made because you're going to be able to play. You're going to be the one that's put on the power player, the penalty kill versus being the fourth line player or the third line defensive pair, you know, rather than sit on the bench in those situations, you're going to learn how to thrive in them. And 
when the decision's made, they're all like, mm-hmm, you know, but years later they go, yeah, that, that was probably best for me. I did play a lot. I had a lot of fun. And so that that is good advice to have that patience and maybe sometimes trust that the coaches do know what they're talking about, that it isn't all politics, that it isn't, uh, you know, who your parents are or who they hang out with it, that there might be some thought process there. Yeah. And I guess I hope that that advice goes to parents because to your point, I truly don't think that the kids think certain ways without their parents thinking at first. So parents, please be patient. Parents, please let your kids take the long road. Um, Yep. Too much pressure on your kids. Yeah. I, I remember for a while I did some coaching at the high school level here in Minnesota and there were a few times where we could have taken a kid at the high school level, but he still had a year of eligibility at the Bantam level. And, and we sat the kid down and we said, look, you're good enough to make this team. We would want you on this team, but you're going to play more and develop more going back to your Bantam team. Because in Minnesota, we can only play so many games uh, at the high school level. We said, you're going to play twice as many games. And, you know, at, in those instances, we got lucky and the kids were bright kids and they got it, but, uh, and their parents were pretty hands off too. They went, Hey, you guys, you're the coaches, not us. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, well, Steve, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Um, I encourage even you Canadians listening, uh, check out the 31 or the 51 and 30, initiative uh there's so many great resources uh that goalie coaches and even coaches in general can get from the usa hockey website that uh you should be doing it if if you if you're in charge of any hockey players you should be going there and finding out how you can help your team yeah and i would say you know if you're from any country in the world listening please join us for our bronze and silver and gold clinics too um you know we've had people from Russia, China, Australia, Canada that have joined us. And we strongly believe that 11 months out of the year, we're all on the same team. We're all pulling on the same rope. We're on team goalie and we want goaltending at large to get better. It's just that one month out of the year when it's the world championships or the Olympics or the world juniors that we're going to drop the gloves and we're going to compete. But, you know, we're not hiding. We're not secrets. We want goaltending at large to grow and get better. And, and we feel that, you know, if we all do that well, then the game, you know, self is going to grow and get better too. So that's a great point too, is you don't have to be an American to sign up for these courses. You can sign up, pay your fee and get some fantastic knowledge and resources. I mean, I know the, just the roster you sent out after the course with the contact info for all of the different uh, goalie coach resources in the different areas was great. Um, One of them was great because old college teammate of mine, Dave Rogalski, it had his updated email on there and I've been trying to get in touch with them for a while. So it's like, ah, now I got the right email to reach, reach out to them. Uh, <laughs> so that was great. Um, but again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope, uh, you know, coaches do look into the um, 51 and 30 program and I'm, I'm going to be watching it and hope it's successful because it's uh, it's a great, initiative not just because we want more american goalies we want american athletes dominating the sports scene but because i i feel it's developing goaltenders the right way Mm -hmm. you know where it's not just like i said earlier it's not the factory of this is how it should be done it's let's let the goaltender figure out their style and we're going to work with them and we're going to make sure that they still love the game when they're done 
Well, when we reach that, you're going to be a big part of that. I appreciate you hosting a podcast like this to share more information on goaltending and, and everything you do for youth hockey in your local areas too. What a great conversation that was with Steve. I wish I had more time to talk to him, but I had to head to a doctor's appointment for some back pain I've been experiencing right after our recording, preventing me from going longer. Be sure to follow USA Hockey on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube simply by searching USA Hockey. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube doing the same thing. Just search for Washed Up Goalie and I'll pop up. Visit washedupgoalie.com for some great hockey-related content, my beer league hockey video highlights, and all podcast episodes of Tendy Talk. If you want some Washed Up Goalie or Tendy Talk apparel, be sure to click on the shop link at washupgoalie.com. I need to give a big thank you to the great hockey band, the Zambonis, for allowing me to use their music in my intro and closing out the episodes. You can download their music on iTunes or listen to them wherever you stream your music from. I'm working on lining up other goalies to talk to and have some exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks. If you are a goalie or have connections to a goalie who I should talk to, shoot me an email at washedupgoalie39 at gmail.com or send me a DM on social media. Let's not forget, if you are a brand who wants to sponsor the show, be sure to reach out to me. I'll be happy to talk and work something out with you. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast platform you're listening on. It's a quick action on your part that helps others find Tendy Talk. Until next time, keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck.